Washington State looms, and we inch ever closer to the first signing day in college football as well. And Oregon's 2024 class just got beefed up and might have another one coming. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by Prize Picks, the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code Locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Brian Smith is here today, our Locked On Recruiting Insider, to talk about it all, which means this segment is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, our national recruiting sponsor here at the Locked On Podcast Network. So, Brian, the big news before the uh, unfortunate occurrence in Seattle last Saturday was Oregon landing Aiden Breland. And, you know, you'd been on here previously saying, you know, Oregon is definitely in the mix felt like it was a Georgia lean. What kind of changed here at the last moment to get Breland to commit to the Ducks? I would love to know. Uh, everybody had Georgia. I haven't. I don't know the kid, but they got some kind of magic elixir that I would advise for you to go steal from Dan Lanning <laughs> and sell it. You can retire early. Because when it comes to D-line recruiting, they've, they've kind of figured it out. And that's a really good position, by the way. Um I know that he's as good an interior D lineman as there is in the country to get Breland after what was it? 10 kids they signed last year. I mean, I've never even yep. heard of that before is kind of hilarious in its own way, but at the same time, you know what? Maybe the kid just wanted to stay closer to home. I, I don't know. I haven't heard what the reasoning was. My only next question is the same thing I talked about prior. Does he take any more trips or anything else? I, I haven't heard if he's done, done, but, I mean, I'd rather be in Oregon spot than anybody else's. He didn't have to announce, and he did. Right, and, and the timing, you know, almost lined up with a perfect day up uh, against the Huskies, but still on the recruiting front, a, a big, big win, not just to land the first five-star of the 2024 class, but to beat out Georgia, Brian, I think is really telling about what right. Dan Lanning can do here at Oregon, what the recruiting potential is, which we'll get to in, in just a moment. But, I mean, you know, beyond Breland's instant impact capability – I think it's telling that it was Oregon and Georgia and after, you know, missing Justin Williams in that same battle, I think Oregon winning this recruiting battle, assuming they keep him committed. I I think it's telling about what Lanning and his staff are doing on the trail. They're finding ways to get kids that quite honestly, West coast teams don't normally get when they also battle a team that gets a visit from an LA kid or anywhere. Now it used to be those kids didn't go to the sec or anywhere else, but that's changed. Oregon's the one school that is beating the Georges, beating the Clemsons, beating the Florida State, et cetera, back east. That's hard. They're they're doing something that's just different, and that's recruiting effort. That's building relationships. Got to give them credit, man, because, like, again, they're the one school that it's consistent. Even SC, because Breland's from an SC theater school. Modern day. Yep. That is just rarefied air. So if you're a Ducks fan – don't get too spoiled here. This is this is really good stuff. Eat it up while you can, because this this is rare. 
Well, I think along the USC front, uh, once upon a time, modern day was a feeder for the Trojans. And look, it it, it still can be for sure. But I, I look at what Dan Lanning and Tosh Lupoy and the staff are building right now on the defensive side of the ball. They've made huge, huge yes. strides this season in, in a big way. And that showed against Washington and that showed in the other games. And I think it's going to show against Washington State this season, as I'll talk about later in today's show. But, I mean, going up against USC, I, I think for defensive guys, that's advantage landing, you know, all, all the way there with the way that they're capable of playing on that side of the ball. And USC, even with better talent this year, same sorts of issues uh, defensively there. But the 2024 class is now number 10 nationally. It was number nine a, a season ago with Breland in there. There was a decommitment, Jackson Ford, who we'll touch on momentarily today, but not super concerned uh, about that one. But when you look at where Oregon's 2024 class could go, they're, they're going after uh, Elijah rushing as well. So how high could the 2024 recruiting class end up being for the Ducks? Let's just go hypothetical here. Let's say they add rushing and one other really good player on signing day. It's Between now and signing day, there's going to be goofiness. One kid will commit, one will decommit, all that kind of stuff. Why couldn't it be five to eight in the country? I mean, rushing is an elite dude. Elite dude. And if you get him, here's the thing when you deal with the five stars, you get those points towards those rankings while the other team that you're competing with, because it's always the same kind of schools, are going to lose it. So I've heard Colorado and Oregon, but I've, with all these kids that are elite kids, I've missed about five in a row, so I give up. But that's what their latest rumor is. It's Oregon, Colorado. Um, that may have changed in the last five minutes, too. That's recruiting 2023. But that's a kid that if you're going to get him, it jumps your class up multiple spots with one guy. Right. He's a really special talent. So him and Breland, by the way, solid. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Is if if you're going into next year with a defensive line consisting of Mateo Uyangalale, Aiden Breland, and Blake Purchase and Tatum Tuioti and Elijah Rushing, and then all the guys that are going to step up on the interior next year that are essentially redshirting this season, the Terrence Greens, the Michael Gardners, the Amari Washingtons, Ashton Porters of the world. Like there are so many dudes and, you know, I, I get, itself, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited about Oregon's 2023 prospects. Cause I think they're capable of getting to the college football playoff. But as I look ahead to the future with this recruiting stuff, like it, it's, it's going very, very well right now. Things are uh, looking good, but I want to talk about rushing uh, for, for a moment because since he decommitted from Arizona in, in which he stated, by the way, and I remember I got a question about this and wanted to bring it up with you, Brian, <laughs> he said in his post, he essentially wants to go to a place where he's able to win at a higher level. That right. was odd to me because Arizona is not at Oregon's level, but they're a program with an upward trajectory right now. That is undoubtedly, they just housed Washington state on the road and we know how tough it is to win up in Pullman. They won 44 to six. They are a team that just keeps getting better and better and better. And rushing was going to be, I think a key piece to them taking that next step forward defensively but all the crystal balls immediately came in for Oregon it, are, are the Ducks seen as the favorite to land rushing right now that's the feeling but like here's the deal the most unique recruiting slash head coaching situation in the history of college football is in Boulder how do you put a, a number on him recruiting I have no idea I don't even like I've been around recruiting my, my most of my life I wouldn't want to bet against Dion for any one recruit, but they need help desperately. Like he could come in and be their best front seven player in year one. That's what Dion's selling. 
because they don't have the same kind of D line depth the Ducks do. I mean, like that's not even right comparable. I don't, I don't know. I would pick the Ducks, but I, I've been a, a really bad choice with picks here lately. So stay away from me. Why don't you pick um, somebody else? Why don't you pick Colorado? Come, just make it, just make it official right here now to put Duck fans at ease. <laughs> just say, hey, I think he, I think he's gonna, gonna end up choosing the, the buffs there. That might make us all feel a, a little bit better. Still a couple more questions for Brian because there's so much to get to on the recruiting front. But have you checked out Prive's picks yet? Because if you haven't, you're missing out in a big big way much like it appears arizona might miss out on eliza rushing Ooh, too soon maybe sorry wildcat fans prize picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in north america the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports it's just you against the numbers you don't have to battle thousands of other players and pros and sharks and everybody like that you just pick more or less on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash locked on college. Use that code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. All right, finishing up with our locked on recruiting insider here, uh, Brian Smith. So, Rushing is a, a top 40 player in the country. Breland is uh, higher rated than him, but still both guys, you know, are making an impact. Of course, if you land them and the ducks have gotten that verbal commitment from Aiden Breland. But what I wanted to ask you about Elijah rushing is, is the timeline factor early signing day, because the college football calendar is designed by buffoons is before bowl season, depending on when your bowl game is, it's just all absolute ridiculousness, but it's late December, if I remember correctly. December twentieth uh, this year. Yeah, December December twenty. Like, who came up with that? What are we? I don't know what we're doing. Trying to make college football coaches' lives just miserable. That 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 that's what people seem like they're they're trying to do. So December twentieth is the first national signing day. Is it expected that rushing has verbally committed before then and signs on that day? Could he be a guy who draws it all the way out to the late signing day in in February? What is the timeline? on the next five-star the Ducks are going after? I haven't heard a specific date he's going to announce, but just based on what his dad has said publicly, et cetera, my strong guess is school A, whatever school that ends up being, Ducks or Buffs, will know where he's going, and he'll announce a day or two thereafter. Like, it's a pretty short list. So that may filter out into the public. I, I'm sure they're ready for this to be over because there aren't a lot of high level kids left, especially with Breland committing to the ducks. That phone's going to explode because look, as a part of the recruiting analyst world here, and I, I'm not trying to turn in my card or anything, you got to get clicks and there's only a handful of guys like that left. Everybody's calling the same kid. They want this to be over. So I, I'm sure his inbox on Twitter and everything else is blowing up too. They have to figure it out sooner than later. Maybe they take a visit to each school again possibly i get that i would hope that it's over prior to december for their sake but if it goes to signing day it goes i mean every now and then there's one like that i'm like what are you guys doing right uh, you're doing it to yourself man this is on you yeah so, yeah i got you so i think it'll be done before but i don't think i've seen a date yet couple other recruiting names just for oregon fans to be aware of jason brown the running back from the state of washington jericho johnson another defensive lineman Th these are guys that <laughs> that Oregon has been in the running for for a while. Things have been trending positively in uh, that direction. 
Uh, do you have a timeline on either of those guys, Brian, and when we might expect to hear something? Oregon does have homecoming this weekend, and I know that they've got some visitors lined up. I have not heard. Jericho is the one that I thought would have been committed by now. Brown being from O'Day, that's a program. If you're from the Northwest, you probably know of. Mm -hmm. They've always got one. You're, you're obviously very familiar, but yeah, that's a great program. I would have figured he'd have had it done by now too, but Jericho has been like in the mix. Like he took a bunch of visits all over. I'm surprised his isn't done. Uh, I think you can see either pop pretty quick. Uh, Cause again, these kids are just a handful after like, okay, where y'all going? They're getting hammered. Right. So don't be surprised if it's before November 1st or shortly thereafter. Yeah. I, I do know a day pretty well. Uh, my, my cousins up in Seattle, both, both went to and played for uh, a day in, in that program. So uh, last thing uh, for you today, Brian, Oregon had a decommitment from three-star tight end Jackson Ford. I, I think that tight end generally speaking is a position. Look, if you find a Kenyon Sadiq or a Terrence Ferguson, of course you want to go get him from the high school ranks. It feels to me though, that given it's, you know, unless you have Brock Bowers, a, a lower <laughs> impact position compared to some other spots, because the guys just don't get the ball quite as much like they have, they have the block obviously as well. But my point is that, I feel fine about not always having high school tight end commits or as many, because it seems like there are a lot of those guys who can do a good job, like Casey Kelly from Ole Miss, who are sure. in the transfer portal. Do you feel the same way? It's a, I agree, because it's a position that's kind of a hybrid between, oddly enough, receiver and offensive tackle, because you block part of the time, traditionally speaking, and landing will have a little more power football, obviously, based on the Washington game. So it takes longer to build them up. So why not let somebody else do it? And then you just take one every year. That's how I would do it. Unless you get like, there's three or four schools that kind of get elite tight ends all time. And after that, why, why would you battle like that? I mean, there's nothing wrong with taking a kid, but I would always look for linemen, tight ends, guys that got to build up in the weight room. If you can get them through the portal, man, that's the way to go. Uh, it's just faster. So, and the, the fan bases aren't getting any more patient for you to win. Use the portal accordingly. Yeah, and, and I think that you know the tight end room will certainly be one to monitor in the offseason. I suspect T-Ferg will be off to the NFL, but uh, Patrick Herbert, I think, could have another year. He's been great this year. Kenyon Sadiq, I think his upside is, uh, is, is really, really high. Brian Smith has got plenty of upside as well as our Locked On Recruiting Insider. He is at FBScout underscore Florida on Twitter if you want to go give him a follow. Brian, thanks so much for stopping by the show. Thank you much, sir. I appreciate it. Always great to hear from Brian and yeah, the recruiting news. It looks really, really good. I'll, I'll be honest. You know, I, I don't, not that I'm not following recruiting closely. Of course I am. I just don't get the same reaction. You know, when Breland committed, I thought, okay, yeah, that's great. If Breland had committed in the month of May, I would have been, oh my gosh, this is massive. This is big. I'm just so dialed into what happens during the season. Cause that's why we care about recruiting in the first place. So Speaking of what's happening during the season, we play Washington State on Saturday. They're a 4-2 football team, fallen out of the top 25. A couple of things to watch for, and I'll be diving into this uh, further in a game preview and whatnot and predictions tomorrow uh, on the pod with Eric Scopel of 24-7 Sports and the Odds and Audibles podcast. Washington State is a team that I can't quite figure out. I can't quite figure them out because... Before the season over on Locked On Pac-12, I predicted them to be a 7-5 and five football team, which is good, which is solid. And I would pick them as a likely candidate to win a bowl game and have a good season 
up in Pullman, which, as we know, is a tough place to win, but not impossible. Mike Leach kind of reset the standard, and Jake Dickert has done a good job. And I think Jake Dickert is a good football coach. They came out this season, beat Wisconsin. They were in control of the game until Wisconsin came back and you know made it close at the end, but the Cougs never trailed. Washington State beat Oregon State in the same game, basically. They got the big lead. Oregon State kind of came back at the end in garbage time, but then the Cougs put down, put on the clamps and ultimately won the football game. So they got off to this great start. Then they go play a good, not great, but good UCLA team, and they lose. They lose 25-17. Okay, that happens. It was the one thing I wanted to see from them, you know, that I talked about on Locked On Pac-12 when trying to figure out where they fit in the power rankings uh, debate, not debacle, um, though it's feels like a debacle for the Cougs right now. But then they came back home as an eight-point favorite against Arizona, and they lost 44-6. to I, I, I wasn't riding off Washington State as a good team when they lost to UCLA. UCLA's got a nasty front four and a good defense, and they know how to run the football. They just need a quarterback, and they're developing one in Dante Moore. I, I, I'm just, I'm so puzzled here because I, at their peak, Washington state is a top 15, 20 football team, but at, at the bottom, they're power rated eighth in the PAC 12 is where I've got them right now. That's a massive, a massive gap. It's, it's strange to say the least. So Oregon state, when they went up to Pullman ran for 242 yards. Arizona up in Pullman, not a team known for running the football, capable, though not known for it. They, they're they a pass-first kind of team, though they try to be pretty balanced, went for over 170. Meanwhile, over the last two weeks, Washington State offensively has run for a combined 47 yards on the ground. You did not mishear me. 47 yards combined on the ground. Bucky Irving has done that in a quarter. That's how much they've put up on the ground over eight quarters. Their offense goes as Cameron Ward goes. And that's the problem there for the Cougs, not for the Ducks. The offensive line is not good enough. It just isn't. Cam Ward was under constant duress against UCLA. I expect he will be again on Saturday afternoon against the Ducks. And they have no balance offensively. It's all on number one. He has to be great. And against Oregon State, he was. Against Wisconsin, he was. He went for over 300, I believe, against uh, the the Badgers. He went for over 400 against the Beavs. He didn't have an interception in either game. They pick up a pair of top 20 wins. Converse that with what he's done the last couple of weeks, or contrast that, I should say, under 200 yards, multiple turnovers in both games. And the Cougs? have put up one offensive touchdown in each of their last two games. They scored a touchdown, missed the two-point against Arizona, didn't score again. They had one offensive touchdown against UCLA, lost 25-17 with a pick six. So Oregon is set up here. Like, they're a 20-point favorite for a reason, the Ducks are, because the trenches, the battle in the trenches, Washington State has a good defensive line, but I trust Oregon's offensive line. It's no better than what we just faced against Washington. You have two really good edge players, and on the interior, guys are solid. I think Washington's is probably a touch better, but Brandon Jackson and, and Ron Stone Jr., those are dudes. Those are those are really, really good football players. Like, if they were on the Ducks right now, they like either one of them would probably start. They are, they, they are that good. Nobody on the interior would, but those two edge players would. But I trust Oregon's offensive line. Bo Nix has been sacked just four times this year. We're running the ball really well. 
I expect they will again on Saturday uh, against Washington State. That's kind of the biggest thing to watch for is, you, you know, I feel really confident about Oregon winning the game. Question is just by how much, because th- th- this could be a game in which Oregon is just dominant on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And Washington State, if you if you can't match up on either side in the trenches, you're going to have a really, really tough time, uh, especially at Autzen Stadium. So that's kind of the biggest thing to watch for there. Uh, there's a big thing to watch for on, on today's show, and that's the mailbag. The mailbag, which uh, has got three outstanding questions and a couple of side questions in there uh, as well, which we most definitely need to get to you need to get over to jacemedical.com and get yourself a jace case because that has got five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections the jace case is a personalized emergency medication kit that allow you and your family to be prepared in these uncertain times supply chains and natural disasters all over the place you want to be ready and jace medical gives you that chance by getting the jace case go to jacemedical.com enter code locked on at checkout for a 20 dollars discount on your order that's promo code locked on at j-a-s-e medical.com you can customize your case add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs use that promo code locked on at j-a-s-e medical.com get your jace case from jace medical today mailbag time i love a good mailbag if you want priority mailbag questions become a locked on ducks insider where you get breaking news reactions and more in-depth thoughts plus a chance to talk with me one-on-one and get priority mailbag access join the locked on ducks subtext community at subtext.com slash locked on ducks link also in the description below wherever you're listening to or watching this show question came in and by the way mailbag always open However, you're listening to or watching the show right now, Twitter and YouTube, DMs and mentions wide open. Spice Aloe Smith. I got to say, that's the most unique name I've seen to date. Spice Aloe Smith. All right, man. Dale Lanning talks a lot about yak, yards after catch. But what about another type of yak, yards after contact? How special is Bucky Irving and his ability to make the first man miss and extend plays after contact? Move the chains on multiple drives against Washington. So going into that game against the Huskies, Bucky Irving averaged 4.3 yards after contact, which was top 15 nationally. I haven't been able to, the numbers are kind of tricky to track down, but we all saw what he did in that game, right? Like we almost converted the first down on a, you know, to, to ice the game. Why did we have a third and two? Because Bucky Irving just made two guys miss at the line of scrimmage, darted up field for eight yards. That was going to be a third down and 10. Instead, it was a third down and two. So when I watched Bucky Irving, he is a guy who, as Southern Utah's head football coach, Delane Fitzgerald, would put it and has described other running backs to me before, he hates to be tackled. He's just not an easy guy to get on the ground. Go look at his uh, first touchdown run against Stanford this year. He bounces to the outside, stiff arms one guy, then they're driving him and he gets inside the pylon. He never goes to the ground. He, he, he's just a guy who doesn't like to be taken down. And he is one of the best in the country. Joel Klatt had him as uh, one of the 10 best kind of non-quarterback skill position players in the country. And he should because Jordan James is excellent. Bucky Irving is the number one guy for a reason. He, he's, I think, over seven yards a carry on the year. I actually want to double check that uh, real quick because he, he's just been so good and and so consistent as well like he brings the same thing to the to the offense every single week 
And that's an ability to make big runs, to make guys miss, to cut back against the grain. Like he's just got the whole package. Yeah, he's averaging 7.2 yards a carry this year. And Jordan James uh, is at eight. Like those guys both really, really good. And Irving is as good as we think. I'm curious what NFL draft scouts think of his prospects because the way he runs, it's not super downhill. You know, he relies on the shiftiness and the lateral movement and the way that he runs. I just don't know if, you know, you can get away with a lot of those cutback runs as much in the NFL, but if anybody can, it's Bucky. I mean, he's so strong and he's just so powerful as well. I think he's got an NFL future. I'm just curious what, the the draft community sees from him and what they think of him compared to what he's doing right now at the college level, which is a, a pretty clearly defined and wildly successful number one back at the power five ranks. So next question from duck, the rules. Nice. Listen to your podcast every week. Go ducks. Appreciate you. Where would you rank our current defense in comparison to years before who from this defense will we remember for years to come? IE Kiko Alonzo, Spencer Pacinger, Kenny Rowe, Bonus question. If you have time, do, th- do you think it's uh, time sup with your girl released another I love my ducks mantra? I don't know about you, but I start every season with return of the quack. Thank you for your time day in and day out. Well, first of all, you're very welcome. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, I, I'm a no on the sup with your girl. Not everything should always exist. Everything comes to an end eventually. And I think that sup with your girl had its moment in the sun. It was great and fantastic. And I don't think you need it right now. It's a different coach, different team, different era. You don't need to be, you know, drawn back to the the 2010s uh, with, with something like that. Like you can always watch those videos. I watch them all the time too, right? And I'll, you know, put them out there. If, if the Ducks are on the cusp of making the Rose Bowl game, I'll listen to or tweet out, I smell roses and everything like that. Like it's all, it's all fantastic. But no, I, I haven't felt that that's uh, a need per se. I think like their time in the sun came and went and that's okay. As to your first question, where would you rank our current defense uh, in comparison to years before? Got to see an entire body of work. But I think by the end of the season, this defense could really compare to 2019. Whereas that team had, I think, a better secondary, this team is better in the trenches. Because 2019, you had some good players. Popo Amavai was on that team, by the way, uh, and was a regular player. So, too, I think Dorless might have been a true freshman. Uh, didn't play a ton, but maybe a, a bit here and there. I know that Doralus was certainly on the team in 2020. Pretty sure he was there in 2019 as well. So um, I look at this team up front, and I think that they are better than 2019. I think your linebackers are comparable. I might even give a slight edge to this year's team. But the secondary was certainly like, yeah, first of all, you had Javon Holland, Diamondor, Lenore. Those are starting players on high-level NFL football teams. I, I think there are some good players in the secondary. I don't know which one Kyrie Jackson, maybe. And it's still kind of early for that. Or maybe Jaleel Florence one day. I don't know which one is starting for sure on an NFL defense. And Thomas Graham made the league and Verone McKinley uh, made the league as, as well. I think he was on the dolphins too. Last I'd heard Brady breeze was a ball Hawk. Like you just had big time playmakers in the secondary. And I think this year's units vastly improved. I don't see the playmaking impact of 2019, but when you look at the the best defenses Oregon has had, 2010, 2014, 2019, and now I think 2022, I think it's right up in that discussion. And, and I think by the time the season comes to a close, we're going to be putting it in that discussion of, is that the best defense Oregon's had in the last 20 years, right? Right now, I'd still lean towards 2019, 
but I got to see this year play out because that defensive line had Kayvon Thibodeau and, you know, a bunch of solid guys, but nobody special. This year's team with Dorless and Birch and Mateo and the way they rotate and Casey Rogers and Taki, like they're playing at a high, high level. So I, I think it could certainly be up there with a top five defense in the last 15 years. Last one here from Ryan. Do you, who do you think would deserve to get into the playoff more 11 and one Oregon who then beats Washington in the PAC 12 championship or 11 and one Texas who then beats Oklahoma in the big 12 championship. So essentially those teams would follow the same script where they have a loss in a rivalry game and a close battle. And then they avenge it in the PAC 12 title game, which is what Oregon did in 2014, by the way, the answer is Oregon. Go look at Texas's schedule. I know they have a win over Alabama. I think Alabama is good, but not great, but the big 12, the Big 12 sucks. I mean, the Big 12 is the worst Power 5 conference right now. Easily. It's Texas. It's Oklahoma. And as Brad Pitt said in Moneyball, then it's 50 feet of crap. And then there's everybody else. Remember, TCU, let me pull up the Big 12 standings uh, right now. So TCU is a team that is respectable, solid in the Big 12. Let me, I got to gather my thoughts here real quick. So the big 12 standings right now, uh, Oklahoma's at the top. Iowa state is next. They're four and three, by the way, they're three and one in big 12 play. They're four and three overall. There are only two ranked teams in the big 12 and there should be TCU is two and two in conference play. They're, you know, decent, respectable team in the big 12. They lost to Colorado. Remember, remember that that's a thing that happened. I remember it. I was watching. Wasn't there, but I was watching. Oklahoma and Texas are good, but the drop-off is so severe that even the Alabama win, like Oregon would then have a win over Washington, who'd be a top five or 10 team at the time and would avenge their loss, as, as Texas would have been doing as well. But then go look at the resumes, right? Texas would have a win over Alabama and a bunch of scrubs in the Big 12, right? So they cancel out the Oklahoma game just like Oregon. Okay, let's say that happens. Alabama. Really good team. Oregon would have a win over USC, Utah, and Oregon State. And Texas Tech, who who, uh, who Texas would also have uh, beaten at that point in time. The Red Raiders aren't that good, but I'm just saying that'd be a common opponent at that point in time. So I don't think you could look at the Big 12 schedule. And uh, like this is, this is Texas' schedule this year. Rice, that's food. Alabama, great win. No doubt, on the road. Wyoming, good solid win against a good G5 team. At Baylor, Baylor sucks. Kansas, not ranked right now. They're just okay. Oklahoma, the loss. At Houston, they're not good. BYU at home, they're just okay. Kansas State at home, they're just okay. At TCU, they're not that great. At Iowa State, I have my doubts. Texas Tech at home. Like, that's a weak schedule. It is a weak, weak schedule. And if you compare that to Oregon's schedule, like there, there would be two wins on there that would be really good wins, like above average wins. And that would be Texas and Oklahoma. Oregon would have way more quality wins and just has gone through a tougher conference slate. You'd have a really quality win over Utah. You'd have maybe an even better win over USC. We'll see how that game, uh, you know, looks depending on how USC and Utah play this week. But regardless, one of them is going to be really, really good. Oregon State is a good team as well. And then the close loss at Washington, I, I, I just, yeah, I would lean Oregon's schedule there. May, with a committee, I don't know. A lot, lot of factors in play. But before we're worried about that, 
Let's beat Washington State first. Talk about that more on tomorrow's show. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.